I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending March 25th. This episode is being sponsored by Texas Instruments. The new era of electric vehicles started out a while ago, but it's picking up steam, so to speak. And the amount of innovation in just the last few years has been incredible. Electrification is giving automakers an opportunity to almost completely reimagine what a car is and what it can be, which is exactly as big a challenge as could be expected. Motor vehicles are complex products. Electrifying them is far more than just dropping in an electric engine and a big honking battery. Once a vehicle company does choose to go electric, that opens up a brand new set of potential problems. But it also opens up a big menu of potential opportunities. What are the challenges, solutions, and opportunities? Our guest this week is Ryan Manak, Director of Automotive Systems Worldwide at Texas Instruments, and he's got some of the answers. We'll get to EV challenges and solutions right after we run down some of the news we covered in EE Times this week. The U.S. is determined to reshore electronics manufacturing, and recent legislation earmarked $52 billion for that effort. In our coverage of this bill in the past, we've questioned whether that's anywhere near enough money. In our latest article, reporter Alan Patterson digs into why the top-line goal of establishing more IC foundries in the U.S. is too short-sighted. Next, NVIDIA. During its regularly scheduled GPU technology conferences this week, NVIDIA revealed its new GPU architecture. It's called Hopper, named after the legendary computer pioneer Admiral Grace Hopper. The new architecture should be several times faster than NVIDIA's current GPUs. Plus, the company has also added some intriguing features for artificial intelligence workloads, including a transformer engine, new instructions to support dynamic programming, and a new iteration of the company's multi-instance GPU technology. Details are in the story. In the main segment of this podcast, you're going to hear mostly about the electrification of vehicles. But electric cars are also going to be increasingly electronic. There will not only be hardware challenges, there will be software challenges too. We have an article this week titled, Entering the Software-Defined Vehicle Era, that surveys what those challenges are. That article and this podcast complement each other nicely. Together, they should give you a solid overview of what's happening in automotive development today. Find that story and others I mentioned, and more, on our website at eetimes.com. If you're on this episode's webpage already, there are links directly to the articles I just mentioned. GM introduced its EV1 electric car in 1996. Toyota introduced the hybrid Prius in Japan the following year. Tesla introduced its Roadster about a decade later in 2009, which was followed a year later by the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf. In 2020, GM CEO Mary Barra promised GM would offer 30 different electric vehicle models by 2025. Today, 
There are, in total, 23 plug-in electric and 36 hybrid models available in a variety of sizes, according to the latest info from the U.S. Department of Energy, which calculates there are now more than 234,000 plug-in electric vehicles and 3.3 million hybrids driving around in the U.S. alone. The transition from internal combustion engines to battery-driven electric vehicles has been accelerating and it continues to do so. The transition is conceptually pretty simple. From an engineering standpoint, however, things get a little more complicated. As with any electric-slash-electronic system, you not only need to achieve the goal, you need a technological roadmap for greater integration, improved performance, and driving down costs. At the same time, vehicle manufacturers are realizing that this is a tremendous opportunity to rethink automobiles in terms of how they're built, what they can do, and how they can do it. Texas Instruments is one of the companies lending its expertise to the automakers to accomplish the electrification of vehicles and the ongoing reimagining of what cars can be. Our guest today is Ryan Manak, Director of Automotive Systems Worldwide at TI. Can you sketch out for us um, the trajectory of electric cars um, and, and give us a sense of uh, is it is it has it always been just a matter of uh, philosophical acceptance, or has the technology gotten that much better in the last few years? Yeah, if you if you zoom out even further, there were actually electric vehicles in the 1800s. Now, oh, yes, <laughs> these vehicles were extremely heavy, poor range. I imagine really expensive. And I wasn't around then. I, 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 I mean, I, nor was I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, pre, this predates both of us. But, you know, the concept, you know, I guess is the point, has really been around for, you know, over a century, right? And then, you know, of course, with, you know, the invention of the, of the combustion engine and just that trajectory where, you know, we saw tremendous improvements over many, many decades, Etc. On the on the combustion side, you know they they took over for mm -hmm. for many many decades, right? And now, you know, I really do think, Brian, we've reached the point where the technology for electrification is really starting to make more sense. You know, think back ten years um, to battery costs, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, we're talking $1,000 per kilowatt hour uh, for, for a battery, even higher costs. And, you know, survey the market uh, today and look at the, the size of the, of the batteries from a kilowatt hour perspective in a car. And, you know, you're looking at somewhere in the 50 kilowatt hours up to 100 kilowatt hours, somewhere in that range. Right, mm -hmm. and and if you multiply that by a thousand, that's a lot of money just just to put in the battery, <laughs> just to put in the energy source uh, for the vehicle. And so, you know, at that point, you kind of scratch your head and say, okay, well, am I as a consumer willing to go pay, you know, a significant multiple higher for for an electric vehicle given the cost? But of course, what's happened? Right is now mm -hmm. these costs have come down significantly from a thousand dollars per kilowatt hour to now really approaching this hundred dollar per kilowatt hour 
threshold that you know really is is the point where we believe or just we see in the market that we start to reach this cost parity uh, with with combustion engines and then you know of course you do the calculations on fuel savings and and you know what the annual um, you know cost is to refill through gasoline versus through electricity uh, and a lot of things certainly to factor in but you know one is is of course uh, the cost in, in making mm-hmm. EVs more affordable uh, but but the other thing that we have to consider here is the is the drive time right mm-hmm. and you know we get on average in a combustion car a sedan uh, built within the last 10 20 years you may have uh, 20 30 miles per gallon a little bit higher with a with a hybrid at the 20 gallon fuel tank you know you can fat finger mm-hmm. an estimate of three four hundred miles uh, depending on you know driving and use case etc and mm-hmm. so you know that's where you know consumers expectations are for for drive time and so again and we can go a lot deeper into this but you know getting the technology to ensure that you know we can drive uh, about the same distances that we can in in combustion engine vehicles with an electric vehicle is certainly critical you know we as consumers have you know come to expect that and you know certainly something that we're looking for in an automobile purchase regardless of technology the discussions i've been seeing with a lot of the car people i know um is trying to figure out um where where we are in terms of electric vehicles becoming uh more efficient and more cost effective than internal combustion um, vehicles. Um, do you have any insight into where we are on, on that curve? Yeah, so I spoke about it a bit. I mean, I, when you think of cost, there's several things that, that you have to consider, right? One, of course, is, is, the, is the price that you pay for the vehicle. And you know a, a significant portion of the vehicle is is captured in just the cost of the batteries, and so you know getting down to that one hundred dollar per kilowatt hour uh, price point for the battery is certainly going to be critical. And you know if I can dive a little bit deeper into this, and we can talk a little bit about the efficiency too, but. You know, how do you do that? How do you get to $100 per kilowatt hour? I mean, there's several ways. One, of course, is is just the chemistry. And there have been major trends in in the electric vehicle to move away from some of these rare earth elements, nickel, uh, cobalt, um, where, you know, when the supply is restricted, the price, um, you know, moves in the opposite direction. Right, and so you know, moving from a from a chemistry like that towards a chemistry like lithium iron phosphate, for example, which is a chemistry that's been around for for a long time, um, you know, it brings some interesting and different challenges to the electric vehicle. You know, one, it has a very very flat discharge profile, and you know where these other lithium-based chemistries like nickel, manganese, cobalt will have a slope um, of voltage in its discharge. 
which makes the, the sensing uh, relatively easy, especially compared to LFP, where you can have a battery monitor, for example, that has an accuracy of 5% or so, and you can get still a really good gauge of state of health, state of charge uh, for the battery pack. Well, moving to LFP, that story changes. In LFP, because you only have, you know, an order of magnitude less slope on your discharge, you now need uh, accuracy or, or um, battery monitors that have accuracies that are almost an order of magnitude better than what's available in the market today. And this is what will allow you to do uh, the state of health, state of charge, and sense the voltage. You know, TI. Texas Instruments is investing a lot in this space and has an industry leading solution to enable that LFP. Well, how does that how does that accuracy though come back to cost? Well, if you think about, you know, the accuracy, if you only have a certainty of 20-30% uh, due to poor accuracy, you now have to over-design your battery pack mm. to get the same amount of range. And so, you know, you have to pack more cells into the vehicle to keep it at your 250 or 300 mile range, whatever it is, in order to guarantee it based on accuracy, based on margin. Now, if you use a more accurate battery monitor technology, like the one that TI is, is introducing to the market, you know, this allows you to more, uh, let's say, optimize the size of the battery. You don't need to over-design it because you have a better idea of where you're operating and think about it from the consumer perspective, right? You, you may say, why do I need this margin? Well, you know, if you don't have it and your car is telling you, you have 30 miles left and in reality, you only have five miles left, uh, that could be a big problem. And, you know, that's certainly something that, that we as consumers uh, and OEMs and technology providers want to avoid. You have to build that margin in. And then, you know, again, margins directly, directly correlated to cost. And so getting that cost uh, into, into, you know, as optimized as we can for the battery sizes with the right chemistries that help drive down the cost. I mean, this is all about getting us to the, the, the more cost effective electric vehicle. And then there's, of course, you know, you touched on this, Brian, the efficiency. Right. I mean, how are we getting the the right drivetrain efficiency? Um, you know, there are industry trends moving from 400 volt technology to 800 volt technology. You know, higher power uh, motors within the vehicles, and so you know, optimizing the uh, the power transfer. Right, the motor drive within the within the vehicle using very strong gate drivers. You know, Texas Instruments has a 30 amp isolated gate driver, safety rated isolated gate driver uh, to, to get as much switching horsepower out of, uh, out of the you know, power switch that's being used and also incorporating the adjustability. And you know, when we get to reliability part of the discussion, we can talk more about this. How do you ensure that you're optimizing efficiency yet reliability, which are actually conflicting uh, when you think about it from, a, from an electrification standpoint? 
And so, uh, you know, a lot of trends here and, and really everything, if you bubble it up high enough, turns into maximizing the drive time, making the electric vehicles more affordable, not sacrificing on quality, not sacrificing on safety. And then, of course, the time component, how are we charging faster, um, you know, on the grid, DC charging, AC charging, et cetera. Wow. Uh, I had no idea that uh, that my what I thought was a simple question was going to open up oh, eight different avenues of discussion. Um, <laughs> let's, let's roll it back a little bit. <laughs> um, so uh, let, let's go. Let's let's stick with the battery just for now. Um, as I understand it, you, there's there's kind of two components to that. Um, one is monitoring the battery, as you were just des- describing, and the other is managing it. Um, uh, what I know about it is that uh, uh, batteries will often be uh, actually multiple batteries in a pack, and uh, managing requires um figuring out how to distribute the draw and load uh, across the different cells within a battery pack. Um, is that always going to be the case? Is that the case when we switch from, from one battery type to another? Um, and then I'm just kind of, let, let's ask that question. Then I'll, then I'll ask you a little bit about the, the monitoring and management technology itself, the chips themselves. Yeah, and so you know, a couple of things to think about with with battery management. Um, you know, one a battery pack in in an EV is a collection of cells, and depending on the chemistry, the voltage will vary slightly. You know, somewhere in the three point six volt or three to four point two volt range. Again, depends on which chemistry you're using, uh, but. Um, you know, these are all individual cells that are stacked in, in series and then parallel. And so if you have a 400 volt stack or a 800 volt stack, uh, you know, you could have 200 cells in series plus, you know, many strings of parallel cells to get the capacity that you need, you know, from an amp hour or kilowatt hour standpoint uh, from the battery. Now, you know, what you have to take into account is you're absolutely right, Brian, you mentioned this in your question. How do you manage the voltage and, and the charge on each of these individual cells? What you can allow for is, is one cell uh, with, with the current to drive the voltage higher than another cell. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the goal is to keep, you know, the cell voltages the charges equal across the cells. And there's ways to go do this, you know, through techniques like passive balancing uh, or even active balancing, which we see as, as you know, a trend here, um, you know, to maintain the, the charge, uh, the state of charge of the battery uh, during both charge and, and discharge. And so there's that piece. Um, you know, the other thing to think about here is communication. Right, and so these cells are scattered throughout the vehicle, um, and so you know there is one 
central uh, battery management unit that's looking at the battery pack as a whole. It's looking at the total voltage uh, of the stack, uh, you know, looking at other information, temperature, et cetera, uh, which is also measured at the cell level. But how do you get that information from each of these cells, these cell monitoring units, to uh, the battery monitoring unit? And, you know, legacy solutions will have a wired system where one cell monitoring unit will communicate to the next, to the next, and so forth and so on until you reach uh, the battery management unit. So it's like a daisy chain or a, or a loop. Um, this is a tried and true method that's been in the industry for a really long time. The challenges with it, you know, when you have wires that are present, you have to get these either manually or potentially automatically installed through a manufacturing process. These wires can potentially break, the connections uh, can corrode over time, and then how do you service it if one of these cells go out, goes out? And so a lot of challenges here that have now led to the market looking at, you know, a more of a wireless approach actually where you can incorporate uh, a radio into into each of the cell monitoring units that no longer communicate in a daisy chain, but now it's it's really becomes a star network where each cell can connect directly to the battery management unit through a wireless protocol. TI has a very strong product in this space, a 2.4 gigahertz simple link device um, with a proprietary wireless protocol uh, that really makes wireless BMS a reality uh, and, you know, has a back-channel communication, a safe link uh, for, for high reliability and targeting, you know, packet error rates that are, that are extremely, extremely small uh, to, again, ensure that the, that the battery is, you know, very reliable and meets the OEM's needs. So a lot happening in, in the battery management space with, um, you know, across multiple chemistries, as well as, as sensing and communication technologies. I, I adore a good tangent. Um, <laughs> as, as electric vehicles, uh, as vehicles get more electrified, not only just for the electric drivetrain, but I mean, uh, you know, uh, all of the driver monitoring systems, the driver assist systems, the and now the, the with uh, the cockpit entertainment systems becoming more and more sophisticated. Um, are we still all drawing on the same battery pack? Is there any do do uh, you know are companies thinking about uh, you know automotive companies thinking about? maybe a different battery pack for the in-cabin stuff and, uh, you know, another for the drivetrain? Um, or is it all one big unit still? So, you know, if you think about a combustion engine automobile today, you have two energy sources, mm -hmm. right? You have mm -hmm. the, the fuel and then you have, you know, a lead-acid battery. Um, you know, there are... I would say multiple trends within within the electrified vehicle. Um, you know, there are automobiles that will have a 400 volt battery stack and then also a lead acid battery uh, for the lower voltage electronics. So a 400 volt and a you know 13 and a half volt uh, battery that powers 
you know, many different loads within, within the automobile. Now, there are trends um, in two directions. One is to replace uh, the heavy lead acid battery with a lithium ion battery uh, for the low voltage electronics. And then, um, you know, not just that architecture, but we also see market trends towards actually getting rid of the low voltage battery itself. You have a high voltage battery, you have an energy source. So, you know, maybe instead of a battery, how about use a DC to DC converter that steps down the 400 volts or the 800 volts down to 12 volts. Uh, and then you can route the, the 12 volt throughout the car. And, you know, you mentioned the ADAS, you mentioned the, the infotainment. Uh, and I've heard this analogy before, um, but, it, you know, if you think about it from a power distribution standpoint, uh, it's, it's kind of like a server on wheels, right? Where in a, in a data <laughs> yeah. center, right, you can, you can take the, the AC, uh, create a 12 volt that, uh, that runs down a back plane. You have server blades that can click in. You know, this is kind of a similar concept where you can take the 400, 800 volt, create a 12 volt. That's powering your ADAS systems, your infotainment systems. You know, another system that, that is needed in an electric vehicle that we often overlook is how about the HVAC system, right? Mm. In combustion cars, you get, you get heat for free. Well, the efficiencies of electric vehicle, <laughs> there's no extra heat <laughs> to spare to, to heat the cabin, right? So how do you do HVAC? Um, you know, within within the automobile, TI has our our portfolio C2000 microcontrollers that you know have been doing motor control for decades. Uh, you know, we see a ton of opportunities for C2000 for our both isolated, non-isolated gate drivers that uh, that actually power you know these new architectures of compressors. And then, you know, you hit on it, DMS, we see a ton of regulations coming from, from Europe and other places on, on, you know, how to go implement that, the requirements there, um, you know, as well as making driving safer through, through ADAS systems, you know, 50% of, of accidents happen at or near intersections. And so how do we make driving safer? These are all systems that will be tied to, you know, either the high voltage battery, low voltage battery, or a distributed approximately 12 volts that gets, uh, it gets generated within the automobile. That's kind of the, the, the server on wheels has always been an interesting metaphor, but it's becoming, it's, it's becoming less metaphorical and more, more, uh, you know, literal um at the moment there are a lot of comp i mean the the automotive companies had so many different subsystems running at the same time um that 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 general architecture it sounds like still remains with a lot of vehicle manufacturers is the electrification of vehicles um a good excuse and a good impetus to have a, a, a unified server on wheels? Um, or, or are we likely to see some of these, uh, you know, you know, different functional units 
still in the vehicles that we we create as as we electrify them so you know i think the electrification what we're seeing is the electrification wave is opening the door to new architectures hmm. now it's going to vary of course uh, oem from oem and and you know how things are done but what I think is is really interesting is I mean, obviously building an electric vehicle is a lot different than building a, a combustion engine vehicle, and so and so I we do see that that now is a time where uh, we have the opportunity, you know, we as an industry have the opportunity to rethink uh, how we're doing some things within within the car, how we're distributing power. Um, you know, there's there's one area that we see is is growing very quickly from, you know, moving from what's called a domain control uh, system to more of a zone control system. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, you have all these domains in the car. The easiest one to think about is the body domain, right, mm-hmm. where you have lighting, uh, front lighting rear lighting, in-cabin lighting, and you have lights all over the vehicle, right? In, in the car of today, you know, these, the body lighting, the body motors, the body systems are all organized uh, in, within a body domain. And, you know, when you do this, you have wires that run all over the car because, you know, the body's all connected and, and ultimately into into one place and you know what's happened over time you know think back 30 years we had we had hand crank windows on our car we didn't have any lock brakes right? right no power steering and you know what's the electrification journey you know not to be confused with the electric vehicle uh, electric electricity is the fuel source and is the as the drivetrain but the electrification journey has been small and consistent over time we want power windows okay let's add an ecu power steering okay let's put an ecu analog brakes okay let's put an ecu and as we've started adding more and more uh, right. electrical capabilities electric capabilities to the car if you open up a car there's wiring everywhere inside the vehicle and you know in order to add all these ecus within their domains that's what you had to go do well now with this electrification journey we have the opportunity to go re-architect reimagine this and so you know we see trends of moving away from domain control into more of a zone control approach where uh, now you can locate you know, processing and doing in regions, right? And so mm-hmm. at the front of the car, front left, for example, you can have, you know, uh, the, the headlights, the, the blinker, the motors for the mirror. Perhaps there's an ADAS system there, part of the infotainment system, driving speakers. Um, and you can actually organize these loads into zones or regions versus domains and where, you know, now organizing these systems into, into a zone greatly simplifies the wiring within the vehicle, 
we talked about the, the data center on wheels, right? The processing becomes centralized and now you can get much more efficient use of, of you know, both processing uh, as well as, as the wiring within the car, you know, reducing cost and also improving the manufacturability of, of these vehicles. And so tying back to the original point, you know, having the electrification wave come, having this ADAS wave come, we now have the ability to, to re-architect uh, in a smarter way um, versus, you know, adding another ECU to the system that's already really complicated. So it's, uh, you know, really an exciting space that uh, electrification is opening up for a number of reasons. Yeah. There, it sounds like there are two things going on at the same time. Um, there are simplifications that that leads to. There are also new technological challenges. And I'm wondering if you could give us a sense of, on balance, when you're looking at the total costs of a vehicle, putting a, a new electrical vehicle together, are we driving down costs by by going to electrification? Are we holding steady because we're driving down costs going to electrification, but then figuring out, oh, there's another way we can do this that's smarter, and maybe that'll cost a little bit more on the chip management side or, or moving from silicon to gallium nitride? What's How are the cost balances working out right now? Yeah, so Brian, we talked about a lot of things at the start on cost, right? Battery chemistries, mm-hmm. wireless BMS. You know, I think there are a couple other really key areas, and you you mentioned one. Um, you know, from a cost perspective, because of course, you know, the engineering journey is all about doing more for less cost. And so, um, you know, here are two. I mean, one is is integration. Right, and and there are certainly trends within uh, the electric vehicle to integrate powertrain systems. We know we need a traction inverter, you know, onboard chargers uh, are inside the vehicle. These DC DCs um, are inside the vehicle power distribution units, and so you know, in the market here, we see trends towards integrating these. Uh, to share resources, both from a mechanical standpoint um, as well as an electrical standpoint. And, you know, can one microcontroller, a C2000 or a, you know, Sitara device from Texas Instruments, you know, I I say this hypothetically, can it control? Yes, it can control uh, a three-in-one system of power distribution, OBC, and DC to DC, you know, even in a ASL D system, um, where you know it acts as both the host uh, and as as the controller for the onboard charger and the DC to DC, and so you know we have ways um, you know to to improve on cost through that standpoint, right? And that's just one of many. Here's another. Uh, you touched on on wide band gap. Uh, wide band gap is certainly making its way into into the vehicle, um, you know, across you know many different different systems, and really wide band gap uh, silicon carbide, 
Uh, gallium nitride brings unique advantages to the electric vehicle. It can operate at higher temperatures. It can switch faster, lower input capacitance, lower output capacitance. You know, the TI gallium nitride uh, devices that, that we have, um, you know, these products allow designers to switch almost an order of magnitude faster in switching frequency than traditional IGBTs or silicon switches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you can switch faster, right, you can make things smaller. And, you know, we've been in, you know, you think about the laptop, uh, right? 20 years ago, how thick laptops were back then and, you know, switching frequencies for, you know, battery management or, or system DC to DC rails were lower. And then, you know, over time as, you know, switch mode power supplies became, you know, more efficient, switched to higher frequencies, you can get smaller magnetics. The same thing is going to happen and is happening right now in the electric vehicle. TI just released uh, a 6.6 .6 kilowatt onboard charger reference design. And, you know, this, this power supply switches up to 800 kilohertz on the DC to DC. And, you know, what this does is it allows the magnetics, which are by far the bulkiest part uh, of the system, mm -hmm. to reduce by 60% over, <laughs> over competing solutions. So you're taking out weight, you're taking out system costs. I mean, these are ferrite, you know, wire wound type, type transformers. Uh, and so, you know, using the technology that, that we have, you know, one for the benefits of, of high uh, temperature operation, high switching frequency, and then, you know, extracting, um, you know, lower system costs through to reduce size magnetics is, uh, is critical. And then, you know, I, I'll transition this here. And then you think about safety of the car. And I mentioned this at the very beginning, you just can't sacrifice on on safety and, and quality and you know on the GAN topic you know the, the GAN devices from TI um, have protections and uh, and uh, you know sensing built in mm -hmm. and you know if you look at the discrete market you look at FETs these are FETs right or TO220 three terminal devices gate drain source you know, the, the TI solution with, with GAN actually builds in the driver inside the, inside the package, reduces the parasitic inductance, allows the designer to switch up to 150 volts per nanosecond, has overcurrent protection built in. And so you really get all of the tools to not just use GAN, but use it in its most optimized state. Uh, and fully control, you know, where exactly you use this and know that, that you're going to stay protected uh, in these in these harsh environments and this high frequency switching. So, uh, again, certainly can't uh, sacrifice on the quality and, and of course, the safety of, of the systems within the electric vehicle. What kind of innovations, technological innovations have you seen in automotive recently that that got you that got you excited that you didn't anticipate that maybe we're sitting there that you hadn't uh, you know, thought about until you saw the whole thing in front of you on a schematic. What's fun and new that, that people are going to be seeing in, in vehicles soon. So 
just to summarize, recap, I mean, I think these, you know, battery monitors for lithium iron phosphate uh, are huge. Wireless is huge. Um, you know, we talked about GAN, but let me leave you with one innovation that blew my mind. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Um, and, and, you know, if you look in, in an automobile, you know, magnetics and especially an electric vehicle, I mean, that's so much of this is power management in the electric vehicle. There are, uh, you know, power switches every, let's take a, let's take an OBC as an example, you know, in an OBC, you have a power factor correction circuit that has minimum of six switches. I mean, as high as 20, 22 something switches, a lot of them floating that have to be biased. That PFC feeds a DC to DC uh, that's going to have minimum, minimum of eight power switches if not, you know, all the way greater than 20, depending on the power level, depending on the architecture, a lot of them floating. So how do you, how do you bias a gate driver that, that is floating? Um, and by the way, it has to be isolated anyway, because of, of, you know, reinforced uh, isolation requirements. And so for, for uh, me, that's a rhetorical question, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'm glad right. you're here to answer it. All right. So <laughs> traditional solutions, a flyback, a push pull. And, you know, if you go look at the magnetics that are required to hit reinforced isolation uh, and then to hit the couple watts of power potentially that are needed in an OVC or a traction inverter, mm-hmm. you're using a transformer that's at a minimum the size of a sugar cube, most likely larger. And that's, you know, eight millimeters, 8.7 meters creepage and clearance, eight millimeters height minimum, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the design uh, and the iterations that typically have to take place. Magnetics design is not easy. Um, and so when you multiply at least 16 of these, um, you know, that's a lot of of transformers that have to be used in a, in a system like this, right? A lot of sugar cubes sitting across the board. Well, you know, TI has released their second generation integrated transformer product that actually pulls the transformer inside the package. And so, you know, you think about eight millimeter, 10 millimeter discrete transformers. TI can actually do this uh, up to one and a half, two watts at temperature with the transformer inside the package in only 3.5 millimeters height. So the height is more than 50% reduced. The XY, uh, I think it's a 10 by 12 millimeter package, reinforced isolation, basic isolation, um, you know, across the device. And so now you, you replace all of these sugar cubes with with fully integrated solutions and uh you know has great emi performance low capacitance one percent accuracy perfect for silicon carbide gate requirements this is one that really made me say wow i'm geeking out over here (laughs) i was too when when i first learned about it the ucc 14240-q1 i mean it's 
It, it impressed really, you so much you remembered the part number. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's their second generation. First generation was a five volt in, five volt out at a half watt. This second generation's 24 in uh, to 25 out, dual output, adjustable high power. But you know, to see the transformer end up inside the package as a power engineer, I, I never thought we'd get there. And you know, to now be on Gen two of a solution like this is uh you know at this power level at this level of power density and integration is really cool and you know i think we're going to see more cool innovations like this uh in in power management so very exciting and and definitely something again reduces weight in automotive and brings a lot of really nice system benefits uh to the table well ryan thank you so much for for coming on the show uh that was a fun conversation i learned something Absolutely, Brian. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on. Enjoyable discussion. I always like talking EVs and and auto. It's uh, you know it's hard to dream up a more exciting field to be a part of. And uh, yeah, thanks for the time and and good chat. Our guest today was Ryan Manek of Texas Instruments. A few weeks ago, EE Times and our sister publication, Power Electronics News co-hosted a virtual conference on electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles, EVs and AVs. If you'd like to learn more about the evolution of vehicles, there's a wide range of presentations available to view on demand. Ryan Manek was one of our keynoters, speaking about gallium nitride ICs, battery management systems, and the integrated powertrain. There were also presenters from McLaren, Wolfspeed, EPC, Ansemi, Infineon, CUI, Altair, STM Microelectronics, Corvo, and others. There's a lot of new information about how quickly these new EV and AV technologies are developing, and you'll hear a lot about all of those new innovations at that forum. The event was called the Advanced Automotive Tech Forum. You can find it at automotiveforum.eetimes.com. And that concludes another episode of The Weekly Briefing. Thank you for listening. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Texas Instruments. TI is a global semiconductor company that designs, manufactures, tests, and sells analog and embedded processing chips. The company's passion is to create a better world by making electronics more affordable through semiconductors. The Weekly Briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned, along with other resources. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.